Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today, we visit with Donna Edwards, the First Lady of the State of Louisiana. My name is Donna Edwards. I'm the First Lady of Louisiana. Um, my biggest blessing is that I'm married to my high school sweetheart, uh, 28 years, and we have three children. I was born in Mississippi. Uh, my mom, we always uh, laugh and say she was a, a domestic, domestic engineer. She is one of those um, women who can put out a spread of food and have it cleaned up before you, you know, run, you know, go back into the kitchen. She's just, she is like the hostess with the mostess. Um, and she was always there when I came home. And literally, I remember uh, her having a Tupperware bowl of, of um, cookie dough. And it was pecan um, cookies, and she would scoop out every day and have fresh cookies. I mean, literally something right out of a, out of a book. And my dad worked for um, International Paper Company, and um, you know, I was the youngest of two brothers, so I was the baby girl, and I was tough. And um, you know, he would take me out in the woods, taught me how to hunt, um, showed me how to use a compass, and you know, he showed me how to ha- um, sh- handshake really firm because he'd gone to one of those Dale Carnegie courses, and so he just taught me to be strong and who I am, and and um, and so together they they uh, I think produced a pretty a pretty strong woman. You know, I can remember on Sunday afternoons. After church, we'd go walking in the woods, especially in the fall, you know, swing on vines. And, uh, you know, it was just a lot of fun growing up in the neighborhood and hanging out with kids and running the roads on bicycles. And, uh, and then we moved to Amite, um, Louisiana, when I was uh, in fifth grade. And that's when I met um, my husband. Then we started dating in high school. And, uh, and then he went on to, um, he was a year older than I was, so he went on to West Point Military Academy, and um, I went to, uh, to a school um, in Mississippi, and, um, and then we got back together, and uh, after he graduated, well, he went to Ranger School, and then um, we got married. And then our first tour duty was in, in uh, Hawaii, Schofield Barracks, yes, and um, then we came back to the States after a couple years, and then did some training, and then went, ended up at uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. So we served um, a total of eight, eight years, eight, a little over eight years in the military. Uh, decided to come back um, after having um, two children. We came back to our hometown in Amite, and that's when um, he went back to law school. Um, I got a law degree, and we came back and opened up a little practice in our small town. And I, we both were involved in our community for the next eight years, being involved in the church group and youth group and PTO and all that great stuff. So my husband's family um, is from a, a line of uh, public servants. His um, dad was the sheriff of our parish. Oh, his, da- his brother is currently the sheriff. His dad, his grandfather, his great-grandfather. And his mom was um, an emergency room for a charity hospital for 25, 30 years. And so, you know, he was brought up around that, that public servants and giving of yourself and, and helping people. And um, and so it was just a, almost a natural thing for him to be involved in it. Um, he was asked to, to run for state representative. The seat was open. And so he did. Um, I, at the time, was um, raising three children and had gone back to school to get a certificate in teaching, and I was teaching school, and so uh, we were very busy, and like many families. And so he did, you know, he served um, at the state level, um, district, uh, as state representative for eight years, and then um, he just just saw a lot of things that he just felt like he couldn't change, and he was either going to really go forward or just kind of get out and and do something different. And so he decided just to run for governor, and to be honest with you, nobody 
Nobody um, really believed it. Um, in fact, he got very little support from the from his party, very little support from a lot of the people um, around him. Um, so he, he, and of course he had support. I mean, you obviously wouldn't be governor, but he really worked hard and he um, knew this was something that he was called to do. And we decided to do it together. And so here we are, a year and a half in the, in the uh, governor's mansion. Well, the one thing that, that really um, came out of this campaign stronger than anything in, in regards to my faith and my marriage is that we were together as a team John Bell and I, he and I would pray every morning and we would find that strength together and we, and we still do that. And, you know, that didn't start until then. Um, be, not that we weren't prayer, prayerful, but we didn't start every morning together holding hands and praying. Um, and so it, it forced us to do that because we were both in this together and we knew, you know, we, ha we were up against a lot. You know, I, well, I've seen us grow, seen us both um, really become planted, if you will, and firm. You know, we've always been firm in our, in, in our direction and, and, and our, um, in, in what we felt were our morals and values. We've, we've always been firm and set in that. But it's really just cemented, you know. It's just like this is who we are, and, and you know, this is how we believe, and this is what we trust. And I've said this during the campaign. You know, the second greatest commandment that Jesus said was to love your neighbor as yourself. And he never said who your neighbor was or is. He didn't say if they're black, they're white. I feel like as Christians, we haven't done a very good job in loving our neighbor. To love your neighbor as yourself, what does that mean? That means is I am not called to judge my neighbor. I'm not called to judge you. I may not agree with you. I may not agree with what you think. I may not agree with your political position. There's lots of things that we can disagree, but where, and we don't necessarily have to agree but I'm called to love you regardless. And I think that's where we're missing the boat as Christians. It's not for us to put our finger in people's face and judge. It is for us to love them. And I, feel, and I know that if we did more of that, we'd have more people coming to Christ. You bring people together by showing them how, how this works. How do you love people? You know, you love them with the love of Christ, first of all. Uh, we're, no one is perfect. We're all sinners. Jesus tells us in, in his scripture, you know, I was in prison, you visited me, you know, I was here. You know, he, there's many places in scripture where he calls us to visit those in prison. When I um, went to the um, NGA, which is the National Government Association, we always um, get with the ladies, the first ladies, and, you know, exchange ideas. It's really an op a wonderful opportunity to find out what other states are doing. And so um, <clears throat> one of the other first ladies from Tennessee had uh, gave, given us a flyer about um, sharing Jesus calling with those imprisoned and women, I thought, oh, absolutely, I'll do this without a doubt. So I came back and said, look, I want to I want to do this. I want to order these books and told them exactly how to do it. And so, um, and they said, well, we're going to be distributing. Do you want to be a part of that? I said, absolutely, I want to be there. I want to, you know, I want them to know who, who, who cares about them and, and be behind it. Um, but just as God always is with me, he, um, he, um, he doesn't always show me everything. <laughs> and I had this impression in my mind that I was going to walk into this room and just, you know, talk to these few women and, and hand them a book and, you know, just, you know, just spend some time with them. When I opened that door to the cafeteria and I stepped inside and 150 women who were in prison stood up and applauded 
the fact that I stepped into their life that day, it was the most humbling experience. I can't even explain it. That they were so impressed with the fact that I came, you know, it still sometimes shocks me. Um, you know, because I'm just one of an ordinary person, just like you and anybody else that's listening. And and so, you know, it just goes to prove, you know, those who are the least among us, those who are in prison and hospitals, they are so looking for somebody to, to, to look up to for hope, somebody to give them a little bit of something, attention, and tell them they're worthy of who they are. And so, um, so it was a very humbling experience that they um, stood up and applauded. And, you know, I still wonder, what is that about? What was that about? And, and, I, and I know after visiting with them, um, we were a sign of hope for them. And when I say hope, hope that um, someone cared about them, that they weren't just thrown away. You know, we brought through Jesus Calling an opportunity for them to have hope. And so that was a very humbling experience. One particular lady had been incarcerated for 20 plus years. And to hear her story, how she came to know Jesus and how he had just, you know, really had taken over her life. And um, that's humbling. That's humbling how God can change um, a person. You know, these ladies, they're incarcerated for a reason. They're serving their punishment. I don't know what they've done. I'd rather not know. Um, there is a victim. There's a victim's family. And I can't even imagine what that must feel like. To be to step in a, the, the shoes of a victim or a victim's family would be the hardest thing. And, and, and I pray for those families that have been affected or have their maybe their lives turned upside down and possibly ruined by what um, another person incarcerated may have done. Um, and I'm so sorry for that. But we still have to love them and we still have to forgive them because, you know, even Jesus himself, when asked, uh, uh, you know, you know Jesus, they asked Jesus, give us a prayer. And he says, our Father, which means he's the Father of all of us. So those are our sisters in Christ. And he goes on to say, you know, forgive us our, uh, you know, we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. We ask God to forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. That's difficult. It's difficult. And so, you know, I think it's like many things. We just say the words and we don't really think about them. And we have to think about those words. We have to think about those words. And I think, you know, forgiveness is a really strong and hard thing to do in a lot of instances. And it truly is only with God's help and praying and asking for God to help you can one truly forgive. The First Lady was able to bring hope to the women in the Louisiana Correctional Institute by answering God's call to walk among them and through the gift of Jesus Calling. She goes on to talk about how she makes Jesus Calling a part of her everyday life. I feel like this is kind of like a, um, a little letter from God every morning in the mailbox. You know how you used to run to the mailbox as a kid to see what was there, and you were so excited, and you don't, you don't get that so much anymore. You're just you're flooded with emails. But I, I feel like this is like a little note from God every day. <clears throat> and so I just I can't even hardly leave without like looking to say what, what it says. You know, it's like I can't get up from my chair until I've made sure I've read my Jesus Calling. I do have one that, um, that I had just uh, written about and talked about uh, in my journal. And it's August 10th. It says, relax in my healing holy presence and allow me to transform you through this time along with me. 
As your thoughts center more and more on me, trust displaces fear and worry. Your mind is somewhat like a seesaw. As your trust in me goes up, fear and worry automatically go down. Time spent with me not only increases your trust, it also helps you discern what is important and what is not. Energy and time are precious, limited entities. Therefore, you need to use them wisely, focusing on what is truly important. As you walk close to me, saturating your mind with scripture, I will show you how to spend your time and energy. My word is a lamp to your feet. My presence is a light for your path. We never know the plans that God has for us. And, you know, that's what's so um, neat when you trust in God. You just, you, you get on the path and, and you trust in that path and you, and you walk that path with him and you don't know where it leads. And that's why every day is a new day and that's why every day is a gift. To find out more about how you can share Jesus Calling with someone who is incarcerated, visit thenextdoor.org slash Jesus Calling. Also, to see the wonderful work Donna Edwards is doing for the state of Louisiana, visit governorsmansion.org. Be sure and stay with us as we interview two of the women that First Lady Edwards visited during her time at the Louisiana Correctional Institute and their incredible stories of hope and renewal. As a special offering to you, the listeners of the Jesus Calling podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Find your favorite Sarah Young titles, including Jesus Calling and Jesus Always, in an audiobook version and get it for free by trying audible.com. Check out a small sample of the Jesus Calling audiobook featured at the end of this podcast. To download an entire free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Jesus Calling. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Jesus Calling for your full free audiobook. Now, on to the second half of our show. Next up on the Jesus Calling podcast, we speak with two women who are currently incarcerated in the Louisiana Correctional System. Both of these women were present the day that Governor's wife, Donna Edwards, came by with copies of Jesus Calling to give to all of the inmates. They each share about their own lives before and after their incarcerations and what the First Lady's visit meant to them and how they face life in prison by daily trusting God. My name is Sharonda and I'm 33 years old. I have one daughter. Um, I was raised by my mother and my stepfather. Um, I come from like a, a Christian upbringing, but I ended up going astray. I never had a real understanding of the Bible, so I kind of was like lost, and I also felt like religion was like forced upon me at the time. Um, It wasn't until I started going astray that like I felt like my heart crying out to God. Um, It was kind of like my soul was like just crying within my body because like I was so lost. I went from bad relationship to bad relationship. I lost a child when I was 17 years old and um, that sent me into like a big depression. Um, And I also start rebelling against God because I felt like, how could you take a life so precious and so innocent? I started uh, looking to the wrong people for love and affection. Um, I ended up trading God for like money, basically, because I felt like I pushed him on the back burner because I wanted material possessions in life. I ended up committing a crime and I came to jail on a 50-year sentence. And I was broken because 
I've, I have never been like a person to harm somebody else and for me to commit the crime that I committed, it was kind of like, I can't believe that I just done that, you know, hurt somebody. And I was crying out to God, I remember being in a holding cell and I was like, Lord, I need you, like I'm so broken, I don't know who else to call but you. And um, in the midst of it, it's like I was given a Bible, a contemporary uh, English Holy Bible, and I was able to understand the words that was in it and everything. And it's like, I felt like the words were coming alive to me, like God was really talking to me through that Bible. And that's where I first found Jesus at. The void that I had, it's like God came in and he filled that void for me. I didn't no longer look to, person, to a person for love and affection when I already had it all the time. Um, it's like, I started looking at it like God had been through everything with me, so why would I leave him again? It's like, no, I want to be where he at, <laughs> so let me get myself straight. <laughs> and it's like, he started pointing out more things to me, okay? It's more things that need to leave, like I was harboring unforgiveness. Um, I prayed and I prayed on that, and um, he allowed me to be able to forgive people that hurt me, not just people that hurt me, but me forgiving myself, because that was like the hardest thing. It's just amazing to know that God's love for you and to also know that your faith is not in man's hands. See, man gave me a 50-year sentence, but God didn't say that. It's whatever God feel fit for me, and that's what that I'm okay with. Whether it's my earthly home I return to or my heavenly home, I'm okay with that. I see my future as leading more people to God. I believe that I could lead millions to God. I want to be that person. It doesn't matter whichever field he put me in, whether it's missionary work or whatever, you know, because I don't always see myself inside these walls. I always pray to God and I say, God, put people in my path that need your guidance, that need your guidance. Allow me to be a light to somebody's path. Sharonda is now pursuing seminary studies through the chaplain's program at her parish prison and wants to be a preacher. She longs to share with others the love and healing she has found in Christ. Much as the First Lady of Louisiana shared Jesus' calling with Sharonda and others in her community. We were all excited. Myself, I was really excited. Like, this lady's taking time out of her days to come and visit us inmates. And she was this little lady, and she was so filled with the Spirit. Amazing. Like, she didn't act snobby with us or anything. She was just a God-fearing woman who came out there to, like, give us some books, and it was amazing. She shook our hands, and she was very sweet to us. And the Jesus Calling book, I read it every day. Like, the devotional for today really spoke to me. I'm going to read this devotional for today um, for August 16th out of the Jesus Calling. It says, Meet me in early morning splendor. I eagerly await you here. In the stillness of this holy time with me, I renew your strength and saturate you with peace. While others turn over for extra sleep or anxiously tune in to the latest news, you commune with the creator of the universe. I have awakened in your heart strong desire to know me. This longing originated in me, though it now burns brightly in you. When you seek my face in response to my love call, both of us are blessed. This is a deep mystery, designed more for your enjoyment than for your understanding. I am not a door God who discourages pleasure. I delight in your enjoyment of everything that is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think on these things, and my light in you will shine brighter day by day. That's truly amazing. I always pray for, like, God, strengthen my hunger for you, strengthen my desire for you. 
and it just lets me know that he hears me. So many things that I prayed for start coming to pass. And it was amazing because it was like, hold on, I've been praying for that since I was a child. And here he go. He making this a reality to me. And um, it was just amazing. Like my biological father, um, he found me and he had been waiting for me to contact him. He had been looking for me my whole entire life. And it was just amazing. And from then I have like uh, siblings, so many siblings. It's just amazing the love that was coming from all over. He put um, people in my life to let me know that I've always been loved. And that's something that I was lacking. If you give God a chance, he can straighten your life up just like he straightened mine up. When I felt like I was nothing or I felt like what I've done was unforgivable, God gave me a second chance. You don't need a human figure to validate who you are. God is there and he loves you regardless of your mistakes. Stay with us as we visit with another woman who shares her story of redemption and how she is learning to forgive herself, just as God and others have forgiven her. Oh, my name is Tina. I'm 50 years old. I have a son that's 26 and a grandbaby that's nine. I was raised in a broken home. My natural father was an alcoholic. Uh, he was very abusive. My natural mother left us when we were little. I had a horrible life. I was the oldest of three daughters, and I um, would make my sisters go to church every Sunday. I felt like that's what I needed to do, and um, we never missed. And then when we were at our, my grandmother's, my grandmother would take us. I was a very broken, very depressed person. I did not own my own Bible until I was an adult. Um, and I didn't read it much then. When my son got to be a teenager, um, I decided I was going to be his um, Sunday school teacher. And the only time I read my Bible is when I had to do the lesson. I guess what landed me here was a lot of wrong choices. I got in the wrong relationship. When I got put in jail, I, I just wanted to die. I didn't have any hope. When I went to court and they sentenced me, they sentenced me to life in prison because I took my friend and her friend's lives. I remember the day, I remember being in the back of the squad car and going through the town that I usually hung out in and realizing that I would never visit those places again. And I think that's when I truly gave my life to God. My exact words were, God, no human can help me now except you. And I gave my life to God. I went through a lot of changes in prison and one of my victims, cousin was in, came to LCIW and she was at Phelps. And one of the days she came up to me and she said, Miss Tina, I'm from Delhi. And I picked up her name tag and I looked and her last name matched the lady, one of the ladies that I had killed. And um, she told me, she said, I've been watching you for a couple months. She said, I read a story about you in the um, Unveiled, the magazine we have for prison. And um, she said, I wanted to see whether you were living the life that they portrayed in this uh, magazine. And she said, I know you are. And I couldn't do anything but cry. 
I never expected that. She told me she forgave me. For her to forgive me, it was like, well, how? I can't even forgive myself. I'm not there yet. I know God loves me. And I love that he is allowing me to see him work in my life. I mean, so many things are happening in my life that didn't happen at home. I would have never given an interview. I've given speeches. I've never did that at home. But I think anyone at home or here needs to know that God's there. And if you don't, if you don't feel him in here, just watch him work in your life. If you ask God to come into your life, he is going to come and he's going to show out. When I first got there, I never looked at anyone. I walked with my head down. I cried all the time. I was scared, and I had no hope. And when I first got in prison, everybody kept saying, oh, well, you're a Christian. You have to love people. And I kept telling them, no, I don't. I choose who I love. And one night I was laying in my bed, and I got woke up, and I don't know if it was God talking to me or what, but what was said to me was, you will love the seminary first. I never wanted to go to seminary. Um, I was a chapel worker, and I was happy being a chapel worker. I loved helping the seminary. I knew my jobs were going to change, but I didn't know that most of my jobs would be given to somebody else. And one of the volunteers told me one day, I was talking to her about it, and she said, Tina, when God closes one door, he always opens another. And I said, what do you mean by that? I said, I'm in prison. You know, I can't leave here. She said, Tina, it's time. And I said, time for what? She said, time for you to go to seminary. And I'm excited about going to seminary. I want to learn all I can. I was a chapel worker for three years, and I loved my job. And I always wondered why did I feel okay in prison? And I have adopted mama and a daddy. And my mama told me one day on the phone, she told me, she said, baby, it's okay to be happy in prison. And I was. I don't want to be here. But this is where I am. And I think God can use me. When I think of the governor and his wife, I think of change. They're making changes. I was excited, but I didn't, didn't really understand what was going on. And for her to stand up there and hand out each book to every offender, it was like, man, she does care. You know, she kept saying, you know, that she's praying for us and all that. And um, I truly believed her. Tina describes how she got her first copy of Jesus Calling while helping a group of ladies organize church services in her prison. Miss Virginia, one of the ladies, came up to me and she had a gift. She said, Tina, I want to give you this. So I opened it and it was Jesus Calling. And it was like, I started crying. I said, thank you so much. 
I mean, that meant so much to me for her to give me a devotional. And back then, I didn't, I didn't read any devotionals. I barely read my, you know, Bible. But she gave it to me, and um, I have read it. And then when um, the governor's wife came, and I got another copy of it, I prayed about it, and I, I didn't really know what to do. Uh, you know, who would I give it to? I sent it to my mom and daddy, and they read it every day. And my mom says sometimes she'll look back at different days and read it, and that means a lot to me. I mean, they've always read their Bible, but now they have a devotional. And it's like they're sharing something with me, or I'm sharing something with them. In Jesus' calling, it always talks about Jesus' presence. Well, I didn't sleep well last night because, you know, thinking about this. And I sat on my bed, um, I played my game, I read my book, and it kept, you know, tugging at me to read this, you know, today's uh, devotional. So I pulled it out and I read it, and I'm thinking about it, and I read it again, and I mean, I know that He's there for us in everything. I mean, you can't see him, but you can sit back and watch what he does. I read the devotional every day, and sometimes I have to read it two or three times to fully understand. But I know that he's there. He's here for everybody, but you have to want him. They need to holler out to God. They need to read their Bible. They need to read Jesus' calling. I hope one day I get to go home. But if I don't, that's okay. Seminary is going to equip me with what I need to help these ladies on the compound. There's so many ladies here hurting, and I want to help them. To find out more about how to get copies of Jesus Calling to women and men in prison communities near you, please visit thenextdoor.org slash Jesus-Calling. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we visit with Clayton and Ashley Hurst. The Hursts have been married for over 20 years and have three children. They have been on staff at Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas since 2004, where they currently serve as marriage and parenting pastors. For many years, Clayton and Ashley struggled in their marriage, not understanding how to make each other happy. They share about how they worked through that struggle and how they help others going through the same thing. Those early years for us were very challenging, very difficult, and we found ourselves in a place of hopelessness mm. um, because we didn't know how to communicate. The more counseling we've done, the more we found that a lot of couples find themselves in the same place we were at, just not knowing how to communicate with each other, not knowing how to share um, thoughts in your life and, and difficulties and, and how to forgive. And so that was really one of the biggest reasons we wrote the book. Hear more great stories about the impact Jesus Calling is having all over the world. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling podcast on iTunes. We value your reviews and comments so we can reach even more people with the message of Jesus Calling. And if you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.